Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Copa Libertadores has long been one of the most competitive continental tournaments in the world, but lately it's been dominated by clubs from Brazil. Felipe Cardenas is here to explain why that is and which clubs could challenge the Brazilian teams for the title later on this year. I'm Alex Abnos from The Athletic, and this is Soccer Every Day for Tuesday, February 8th. First, as always, it's your TV guide for today, and all times are Eastern. As indicated in the intro, it's a very big day for South American soccer, not just in the Copa Libertadores, but also in the Club World Cup. At 11.30 a.m., Palmeiras, one of those big Brazilian teams I mentioned earlier, they play Al-Ali, the Egyptian champions, in the Club World Cup semifinal. That's again at 11.30 a.m. on Fox Sports 2. There are also a trio of Premier League games happening today. At 2.45 p.m., West Ham United hosts Watford. And then also at 2.45 p.m., Newcastle United takes on Everton. Both of those games are on Peacock. And then at 3 p.m., Burnley hosts Manchester United on USA Network. If cup competitions are more your speed, you have two options today. Both of them kicking off at 3 p.m. In the Coupe de France, it's Monaco versus Amiens. That is on BN Sports. And then in the Copa Italia, Internazionale versus Roma on Paramount+. And then, of course, tonight, the Copa Libertas Doris journey gets underway with the first match of the very first qualifying round. So it's not quite the Copa Libertadores yet, but it's close enough. At 7.30 p.m. on BN Sports, Montevideo City, Torque versus Barcelona de Guayaquil. More on that and the Copa Libertadores as a whole with Felipe right now. All right, it is Tuesday, and it's a big day for South American football, which means I have Felipe Cardenas here with me. Uh, the two games on today that are of importance in that region, of course, Palmeiras taking on Al-Ali in the FIFA Club World Cup semifinal, and the Copa Libertadores gets underway, at least the qualifying for it gets underway today, with Montevideo City, Torque taking on Barcelona. Uh the Ecuadorian Barcelona, I should I should clarify, obviously, since it's the Libertadores. Felipe, the Copa Libertadores is just a huge tournament. It's, you know, the Champions League of South America. But there have been some trends that have been taking place recently over the life of the tournament. Uh, what sort of are you looking for as this edition gets underway? Can anyone defeat the the Brazilian clubs they they're dominating yeah. the tournament over the last two years. Uh, you know, two finals back to back have been all Brazilian finals. Uh, with Palmeiras winning both of those those finals once in the Maracanã b- b- in twenty twenty. I don't I don't even think there were fans in that in that game. Yeah. Uh, and a year later, they played at the Centenario in in Montevideo in Uruguay, a very obviously a famous stadium where Uruguay their national team play. Uh, and Palmeiras defeated uh, Flamengo. So. 
they they face Santos and Flamingo. And, and I think the talk around South America is that, like you mentioned, this is the premier continental tournament that historically you get all the best and biggest clubs in the continent, you know, competing for that title. And just of late, I think it's it's really the trend is is more of a microcosm of just the 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 level of play in South America right now. The top clubs aren't winning their leagues often enough. Smaller clubs are getting into the tournament. Smaller clubs are making runs. You know, Independiente del Valle from Ecuador made a final in 2016 and they That's lost. Right. Uh, but you know, hit the historic clubs from Colombia, Chile, Uruguay, they're not performing. And so the Brazilian clubs are well-funded and they're winning the tournament. And so I think the story of this 2022 version is who can step up uh, within you know, the, the ranks of the River Plates, uh, Boca Juniors, uh, the teams from Uruguay, Peñalo and, and Nacional that are big clubs. Can they go back to the way that they used to play historically in this tournament and make a run at these Brazilian clubs? Well, as I'm looking, uh, you, you mentioned actually pretty much all the other teams. As I'm looking at the uh, group stage, they haven't done the draw for the group stage yet in the Copa Libertadores, but they organize teams in pots similar to how they do for the World Cup. So if you're a higher seeded team, generally through your ranking, you get placed in pot one. So you don't get you know these crazy powerful groups. Um, but in pot one, which of course contains the best teams, you have Palmeiras, who are uh, the defending champions, River Plate, Boca Juniors, Flamengo, Atletico Mineiro, Atletico Paranaense, and those two Uruguayan teams, Nacional and, and Peñarol. Which of those teams, I guess, of the non-Brazilian teams, do you think have the best chance to make this a little bit less of an all-Brazilian affair? I would think it would need to be one of River Plate or Boca Juniors. Yes, you know, I, I look at, I've already mentioned Nacional and Peñarol from, from Uruguay. You know, those are teams that that can battle through the group stages. I think it's once they get out of the group stage, can they win these, you know, the knockout style, can they win the knockout games in in the tournament? Uh, You mentioned River Plate. Obviously they are the premier side in Argentina. They're the best team in that country. They have one of the best coaches in the world at Marcelo Gajardo, and they have reloaded for this tournament. The talk in Argentina is like, wow, like, River Plate are ready to win a treble. They're ready to win a league. They're ready to win the Lee Ali Cup and win a third Copa Libertadores under Marcelo Gajardo. So that is a tournament that they they look at and they focus on. Uh, and it's what's ironic about River Plate is that they've lo- reloaded with a lot of players from MLS. Uh, yeah. Ezekiel Barco is was sort of one of their biggest signings of the of the winter window. Leandro Gonzalez Perez comes from Inter Miami. Uh, Thomas Pochettino from Austin FC. And then they brought back Juan Fernando Quintero, who was playing in China. You know, Juan, Juan Fernando Quintero is known as scoring the, the biggest goal in, in River Plate history in that final against uh, Boca Juniors in Madrid. So, and, and they're just a young team. They have Julian Alvarez that was already, will be moving on to Manchester City in the summer, but he's still going to play in this first half of the season. So they are the, the I think they're the biggest threat to the Brazilian sides. Boca Juniors, you know, really good team. If you look at the starting 11 and, and some of the depth pieces that they've joined, that they've added in the window, you know, they, just very unlike River Plate, they don't have a defined style yet. They don't have an identity. You know that River Plate is going to attack full-time. Every player is a box-to-box player. And, you know, under Sebastian Bataglia, Boca Juniors still trying to figure that out, but they've also added a player from MLS and Nico Fidal from Inter Miami, and they're pretty stacked in, in the back. Like they have enough 
in the back to, to, to play sort of with a stout spine and get through these sort of the sludge of the, of these sorts of tournaments. But I look at River Plate as the one team that I think has purposely signed players and targeted the Copa Libertadores as one of their priorities. Do you have any explanation or have you read anything or seen anything with your own observations about what specifically has made Brazilian teams so dominant in this tournament lately? Because, you know, I'm looking at the history and it's not as if it's always been this way. It's really only the last two years that they've been all Brazilian finals. The year before that was Flamengo versus River Plate in the final. And then before that, there really what it, it wasn't dom- it wasn't a dominant situation. You had Argentine teams. You, I see, you know, the Ecuadorian team, Independiente del Valle, which you which you mentioned. You know, a couple Mexican teams <laughs> that were uh, in, invited as sort of guest uh, guest teams. You know, what to what do you owe this run of Brazilian dominance? Well, I think when when especially for those listeners that tend to follow MLS, I think what's heard often from sort of the, the South American pipeline of players that are coming to the U.S. It's like, oh, well, these clubs in South America need to sell players. They're they're doing poorly financially. They're in dire straits economically. They need to sell, and that's true a lot of the times. But for for these clubs that we mentioned in Brazil, they're very well funded. They're fine economically. They are big spending clubs, and they go and get the best players in the region. They have great coaches that that they pay very well. Uh, they're very successful projects too. They are institutions and organizations that are used to winning, being successful. Uh, and, and I think within Brazil, th- those rivalries between these clubs like Fluminense and Flamengo and Santos and Palmeiras and Sao Paulo and, and, and Palmeiras as well, uh, you know, they, they are battling to be the best in the region. Obviously, they're battling to be the best in Brazil, but that leads to, you know, precise signings. You know, as a club like Atlético Mineiro, that is a very good team, too, that can yeah. come up with this. Uh, tournament and, and perhaps uh, be the next big Brazilian club to win. They've got Hulk. We all remember Hulk from playing at Porto, just a, a monster of a striker. Uh, Diego Godin, the former uh, Atletico Madrid defender and still captaining the Uruguay national team. He was their big signing over the winter, and now he's probably going to captain that side. So they they can spend the money on the players. And I think the other thing that we tend to forget when we talk about Brazilian football is yes, the flair, the attacking players, those teams that we've mentioned have a few of those guys sprinkled across the starting 11, but really they're really good defensively. <laughs> they're, they're very good defensively that the, the clubs focus on the spine of the team. And that's what has gotten them to this point where they're winning tournaments year in and year out. Well, like I said, the Copa Libertadores kicks off, at least the qualifying for it kicks off tonight. Uh, if you haven't, really invested any time in watching the Libertadores, I recommend it. Those games tend to be really, really, really fun in all the same ways that Champions League is fun, but obviously a little bit different because soccer is a little bit different everywhere in the world. Felipe, thanks so much for guiding us through it. I'm sure we'll come back to you once the tournament proper gets underway. All right, Alex, anytime. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can get 33% off a year's subscription by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thank you so much for listening. Happy soccer to you all.